Welcome to Talk of the Town, a podcast by the Town SC, where we have candid conversations with Bay Area athletes, sports influencers, and individuals pushing the game forward. I'm your host, L. Johnson. This week, we speak with Cassie Gray, Cal Soccer alum and founder CEO of Female Footballers, about her mission to inspire pathways for women to stay active in other areas around soccer after their playing careers are over. Tune in. Hey, Cassie, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. Can't complain. Um, happy to have you on. Looking forward to speaking with you and kind of learning a little bit more about your story. Uh, so we'll jump right into it. The first thing um, I like to ask our guests is, what's one interesting fact about themselves that most people wouldn't know? Oh, man. Um I would probably say I love candy. I think people who know me probably know that, that I have like a candy addiction and uh, to the point where I have to like hide it from my kids. <laughs> and, um, but I do love candy and I know that's not what athletes are supposed to say, but it's true. <laughs> nice, nice. What's your top five candy list? That's a pretty hard one. I don't know. I, I do love like, I often eat Mike and Ike's, um, which is not everybody's favorite. Uh, Skittles, blow pops, like I like a good mix of like a hard candy and then like a gummy candy and like anything. I don't know if I'm saying right, but anything Haribo or Haribo, however you say that. Yeah, it's a good Haribo brand. is undefeated. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of Skittles, I like Skittles. Uh, do you like the original, tropical, or a berry? Oh, I'm probably a tropical fan. How about you? Okay. Berry for sure. Berry, purple package. Nice. Yeah, purple. Yeah, I like the blue one. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, let's get into it. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background, know where you're from, how you got here, what's your origin story? All right. Yeah. So I grew up in San Jose, California, born and raised. Uh, my family, extended family is from, uh, my mom's side is from Italy. My grandparents are from there. So I'm half Italian. My dad's side's kind of from all over the place. Um, but I kind of identify most as Italian. Um, but grew up in San Jose, um, went to school here and, um, started playing soccer when I was five for just a rec program, loved it, um, continued to play. And when I found ODP, things kind of got real. I went from being on my favorite fun team with my friends to starting to get seen by college coaches and, um, was lucky enough to get a scholarship to Berkeley, played there for four years and then, um, graduated, um, went to San Jose State for a year to get my teaching credential. And then I kind of moved around the country a little bit with my then boyfriend, now husband, who was playing uh, in Major League Soccer for eight years. So we moved around a bit and came back to the Bay Area when he finished his career at San Jose Earthquakes. And um, now I have three kids. I've been in education for about 15 years. And um, I run a nonprofit called Female Footballers. Beautiful, beautiful. So um, just learning about your background, like clearly you're soccer through and through from the husband mm -hmm. to yourself, um, having played. Um, but when, when did you fall in love with the game? Um, I mean, I, my, an older sister who played, so I watched her growing up from, you know, age one to five on the sidelines. And so when it was my turn, I loved it from the minute I started to play, um, just running around. It was co-ed back then. Rec was always co-ed. So I really liked, I felt like I could hang with a lot of the boys. I was fast. Um, but it probably wasn't until like 10 when it got more real. Um, what is now comp used to be called select. And it was the first time you could play at that level was at age 10. And that was when you started to go to tournaments. And I just loved playing in the off field stuff with my team. And the camaraderie piece was like a really big part of it for me. So that's probably when I really fell in love with it. 
Nice, nice. So you mentioned you played at Cal. Um, what are some of your highlights from playing there? Or some some fun memories Ooh. that you can remember? Uh, good question. Um, so I was one of 14 freshmen going in. So we had a big class. Um, and I think my freshman year was probably one of my best years because I didn't really put any expectations on myself. And I was a forward and um, jumped in and, and got to start and, and played with um, Laura Schott, who was at the time a really big player, now coaches and um, commentates for the, the Thorns. And um, just got to play with some really cool women. Um, my high, I guess there's a couple games. It's so funny. I can't remember like so many games. Like I feel like a lot of soccer players can remember, you know, when they scored a goal here or there. And I swear, I barely remember like the soccer field. Every, every memory is more like off the field, um, yeah. getting ready for a game or whatnot. But one game that I probably remember the most was, um, 2001, September 11th, unfortunately, um, that happened on a Tuesday and we played Santa Clara on the following Friday. So three days later. Mm-hmm. And Santa Clara at the time were, um, I think, defending champs or they were making a run for uh, national champions. And so they had an amazing team that was like Ali Wagner, Daniel Slate, and Leslie Osborne. There were some crazy players on that team. And um, we ended up beating them. And I had the game winning assist, not the goal, but it was a pretty good ball. And so I do remember that. And that whole game just had different meaning after such an event. So um, that's probably the, the most vivid soccer memory that I can remember that and maybe beating USC um, down at their home field, also at a time when USC was like really, really good. Nice, nice. So. Now, now was Stanford a powerhouse at this time or? They were, later? they were, they had, I'm trying to think who they might've had. I'm a little older than Kristen Press and Kelly O'Hara, but they were probably freshman. I was senior or maybe a little younger. I don't know, but okay. they were very much a powerhouse. They weren't national champions, but that every time we played them, it was a battle. And I, my last game of my whole career was there. We lost in the playoffs, um, NC two a playoffs. And so not as happy memories playing them, <laughs> <laughs> but still, yeah, not for sure. So, all right, let's stay on Cal for a second. Um, you know, I'm, as we, as you've seen earlier, I am a fan of lists and top fives and things like that. So I'm going to do top three. Who's your top three um, women players to come out of Cal soccer? Oh, geez. Not that I played with, just in general? Just in general, like your your top three okay. list from any any, yeah, any class. A lot, of, a lot of people don't know who um, who played there, but, you know, we have Alex Morgan, obviously, is, is the probably biggest name. Uh, mm-hmm. Joy Fawcett played there, which people probably don't know. But one lady I'm going to call out, a lot of young players don't know her. Her name is Leslie Gallimore. She is currently the commissioner of the Girls Academy League. Um, she is just a badass female. She, um, When I was a teenager, she was the head of Region 4, and at that time, one of the few women coaches and kind of heads of, of programs and stuff. So it was very obvious to me that there were women all of a sudden involved in that kind of stuff because there wasn't back then. Um, so she would be a big one. And then my – I know you said three, but let me give you one more – Um, My assistant coach at the time was sort of my biggest mentor, game changer. Her name is Jennifer Thomas or JT. Um, She is like the reason Cowlman Soccer is what it is. Like she has made our alumni program an amazing place and has kept all these women together. And and she's a huge inspiration for why I started my nonprofit. So I'm going to say her. (laughs) Dope, dope. Do you still follow the team uh, now? Yeah, yeah. So our alumni organization at Cal is like a really big thing. We have our own Instagram, which I handle. 
we have a committee, we have a website where we house like information. We stay connected with the current team. We meet up with them um, and we do alumni games every year. We do tailgates. Um, so I was just at the JTs like a month ago and we met up with some of the current players and um, just trying to create some content for the fall and keeping them connected and letting them know like we do networking events so that we help them find jobs after they're done or connect them to alums who've played internationally or in the NWSL or who want to coach or anything that's in soccer, but also out of soccer. Nice. Nice. All right. So I'm yeah. one more. So since you, since you keep track of the current team, who do you feel is up next? Who's like the next, next, question. next star to come out of Cal? Um, I think Sydney Collins is probably the next one to go pro this is her like fifth year senior year um, at Cal and I think she'll probably en enter the draft next I'm hoping she's a baller and and um, I would love to see her play um, I'm trying to think who else. I mean probably her I, I know that we have a few um, newbies young girls that are on the youth national teams like the U20s and the U23s maybe but um, they'll have a little bit more time at Cal still. So I'm going to say Sydney for sure. That That's the number one. I Keely Roy is kicking ass right now, and I love to watch her play. She plays for the Nighthawks as well in the summer, and um, I would love to see her play pro. I'm not sure if that's something she wants to do, but yeah. yeah. So speaking of that, um, did you ever have the opportunity to play pro? Um, unfortunately, no. I um, So I graduated college in 2004. My summer before my senior season, I was training with the San Jose Cyber Rays, which were the current, the, the, excuse me, not the current, the local team in the Bay Area for the first version of the Women's Pro League, which was called the WUSA or the WUSA at the time. So I was training with them because I was from San Jose and was home for summer. On that team, it was Brandy, Chastain, and Cece, and I mean, ridiculous names in the sport at the time. And they would train at West Valley College. So it was right by my house. And I would just train with them all summer. And so I was really thinking I was going to do that. And then my fall senior year, they, the whole league folded. And um, another league wouldn't come around for six more years. So wow. I played WPSL after that, played for the Nighthawks. Um, when my husband was playing and I was moving around with him, I played on a couple different teams in different states um, or different cities. And um I tried to keep it going, but six years is a, a long time when, you know, even if it were to come back around, they, they couldn't guarantee a lot of money. And at that point, you know, you're, you're in mid twenties, basically, you're like, I'm ready to like have a real job and, and stuff. So I went straight into a being, becoming a teacher and, and um, just wanting to make money and, and just sort of like have a different life for a little while. Um, I look back now and I wish I would have kept training because there was a few girls my age that kept going like Tracy Ham. My college roommate, Kim Yokers, um, a couple of cowgirls that kept playing. And, you know, they had a good year or two in the second round, which was the WPS. But even then, that didn't last. And it was another two, three years before the NWSL came around. So long yeah. journey. Yeah, definitely. Um, glad to see there's some stability on the women's side. Um, definitely mm -hmm. a very, very exciting time for women's soccer, especially in this country. So glad to see that there's some some stability there, hopefully some expansion into the Bay. Um, yes. You know, I won't, I won't, you know, be biased about that, but <laughs> we can get in, we can get into that later. Um, but let's talk about the state of women's soccer in the Bay area. You mentioned you played for the rail Hawks. Um, what are some of the positives and what are some things that you would like to see done better? Um, 
I think the WPSL has done a good job since I played in that league. It's been a while. Um, I know the Storm has always been, when I played on the Nighthawks, the Storm is, uh, they had a, a man named, who started the Storm named Jerry Zanelli. He was an amazing guy. He attracted awesome talent and pretty much that whole Cyber Race team would go up to Sacramento and train during that time. And so the Nighthawks had more local girls or like the college program girls in, in the summers and they did a great job too. But um, I think, you know, funding has always been a huge issue with women's soccer. And like you said, right now is a really exciting time because people are seeing that there's value and there's um, a place to invest in women. And it, the time is definitely now. But um, I think that some of the ways it goes wrong, too, is, is just that they there needs to be more flow from club to pro. Um, it's kind of choppy. Girls don't really know their options. It's not talked about. I know even current girls because I work with them and we talk about this they really have no idea how to make it past their their local WPSL team you know it's like they know they can play there in the summers during college but after that they if they want to go play internationally they have no idea how to go about doing that there's just not a lot of talk and um it's not out there enough on options and um ways to go at doing it. And I think it needs to come from more women. I think women need to be involved in the sport to pass that along. Um, and for some reason, we lose a lot of women once they finish playing collegiately. They're just so done. And they don't know how to involve themselves in the sport without coaching. And I think that's a big problem. Hmm. So talk, talk a little bit more about that. Um, what are some ways that, you know, women can involve themselves in, in, in the sport a little bit more, you know, outside of coaching? Yeah, I just see it as um, I, so I coached a little bit after college. I, I did all the Cal camps. I coached for my husband, had a club for a little while and um, I did personal training and I, I've done like uh, high school soccer, but I just, um, it's, it's hard to be a female and a mom and a coach and have another job. And I think as we see in the Bay Area, the cost of living is so expensive. So to be a full-time coach, you got to have at least three or four teams. And that takes up a lot of your time. So it's really hard to um, be invested in your family. And if you have a family, and I think that goes for men too, that's not just a female thing, but um, there isn't enough thinking out, out of the, outside of the box to stay in the sport if you can't play or you can't coach. So part of the reason I started my nonprofit was for that reason. And our whole mission is about mentorship and about how just because you don't play anymore doesn't mean you can't make an impact. And so we have a lot of mentors who talk to young girls and we've been in their shoes and it's just a way to that information to, that we were talking about, like to let them know how to get places and what to do. Like that's what we're here for. And it, it doesn't take up too much time. You don't have to be out on a field. So a lot of my time is spent on zooms and, and stuff like that. But um, I think, I think some girls don't know their options. And I think um, in the men's game, there's a lot of men who go aren't as afraid. There's a lot more opportunity, I would say, because there's a lot more teams on the men's side there, you know, than there are women's. Um, but I think that traditionally, like, and I hate to say this because it's not like men bashing or anything, but like a, a male coach often will get hired before a female coach. Um, and I think that because there are so few, it doesn't feel great sometimes to be the only female in a club. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of that, but I think in order for us to grow, we have to put ourselves in those positions as women. Otherwise it's never going to get better, you know? Yeah, most definitely. And, um, yeah, we're going to get into, uh, your nonprofit a little bit later. Um, 
But let's move along a little bit. So you mentioned you went to San Jose State to get your teaching credential um, and you teach social emotional learning skills. So can you tell us a little bit about that and why it's important? Yeah, for sure. So um, part of like, so I didn't really know my options after Cal. I knew that I was kind of burned out. I think a lot of girls feel burned out after four years of college soccer. And um, my mom is a teacher. My sister is a teacher. I had a lot of teachers in my family. It was what, after taking a bunch of classes at Cal, it definitely, those classes felt like something I felt like good at. And I think a lot of players, you know, they finish college soccer no different than when pros retire. There's an athletic identity issue of like, what else am I good at? I've never invested my time into something else. I, I don't know my skill set and how this skill set can relate to the work world. And so I jumped into what I was fairly familiar with, but also what I felt like I was good at. Went to, I moved home and got my teaching credential at San Jose State. Immediately became a teacher. Um, I taught second grade for six years. And I found out within those first six years that I was more interested in teaching about how a kid feels or talking about how a student feels rather than like teaching the standards. So for example, like my teaching, you know, the door partner, the lady you share a door with, she's like all hell bent on discussing the standards for this math assessment. And all I wanted to talk about was, yeah, but Johnny doesn't feel good about this math test. Like how do I make him feel more confident at math? Like I was always more focused on how I made the kids feel, how they felt about their learning. And it started to become like a thing where it was like, you know, they would, teachers would joke like Cassie is so big on feelings. And I would do like team building activities from soccer in my classroom. And we would hold class meetings about how we can communicate more effectively. I was doing all this on my own. I moved to fifth grade and that's really where it started to like gain traction. Cause I was like, well, this is the age, like mm. 10, 11 year olds. This is like, I want to work with this age or older because they're starting to get it. They, we can get somewhere here. And then um, I moved to third grade, which I'm currently in, actually. And um, I still love it, but I was talking to my, my boss a couple of years ago, and I just said, you know, I'm really interested in this. I have a nonprofit that I do this with. And she was like, well, what if we created a position for you? A lot of schools don't have the resources, but we have some money this year. What if we created a position to become a social-emotional coach? And I was like, yes, I want to do that. So what I do now is I push into classrooms, and I teach about social emotional learning, which in the teaching world, it's called SEL. And we always have a lot of acronyms. Nobody ever knows what I'm, what I do or what I'm talking about, but, um, and it's very similar to all the intangibles of sports. It's all the things that affect the game, you know, ridiculously and nobody ever coaches on them. There's no deliberate, consistent practices within social emotional learning. So at the school level, they are doing that. And what I have found as an educator is, soccer and all sports really um, mimic the teaching world a lot and teaching is no different than coaching and so I can you know anytime teaching goes into a trend for example a couple of years ago the steam or stem education became a really big deal you know science technology engineering mathematics and we got back to having more hands-on learning again and i feel like the soccer world started to mimic we started to have conversations you know we're kind of creating these like robotic you know players we need to bring the creativity back and it's the same kind of notion and now with social emotional learning it's kind of happening again where it's like um, this is a big buzzword in education, all of a sudden that slowly, it's not nearly there yet, but it's slowly getting there to where um, we basically need to infuse mental skills, social emotional learning skills within sport in a more deliberate, consistent way. Um, so we're not there yet, but we'll get there. But I, I love it. And I love to work with kids. 
Um, I think even now that my own children, I have a, a six-year-old son, a nine-year-old daughter, and a 12-year-old son. And as my kids age, I'm wanting to like move with them older, the old, like working with older players and stuff. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, we've been hearing a lot about like uh, mental performance coaching on like the youth level and stuff like that. Um, how can, you know, athletes apply SCL skills as part of their development? I think um, it's got to come from the coaches and the clubs. And I think I've spent a lot of time researching this, dealing with it. And what I notice is a lot of the time the parents are in tune that a kid needs something. They need to focus on something in that realm, social emotional learning realm. Um, the kid doesn't know how to access it. The parents will go to whomever they know in that in the soccer world, but because the soccer world is a $19 billion industry, they're going to get fed whatever is in the best interest of, of not necessarily the kid, but of the club and the money. So they're not always getting put at the area that they need. And so to me, it's got to come from the top down and, and go from U.S. soccer to U.S. youth and U.S. club soccer and infiltrate the, the coaching world. You, you know, United Soccer Coaches should have more than one one you know, coaching uh, course on the mental side. I think all of these are areas that coaches have to deal with as, as kids progress and society changes, we got to change with them. And we have a lot of coaches who don't want to do that. We have a lot of coaches who are like, this is my way. And again, if it mimics the teaching world, my job as a teacher is to differentiate my instruction to meet the needs of my students. I can't just say, this is how I run my class and expect every kid to be successful. It's my job to work with each individual kid and, and find out what makes them tick and help them. And as a coach, I think it's the same thing. We have to be able to be willing to meet them where they are and not expect them to meet us where we are. And I think that that's a big part of it's got to come from the coaches. If the coaches are aware that there's a lot going on with them inside and emotionally, They've got to provide opportunities to help them grow in that way too, and they're going to end up going to they're going to end up getting a better you know technical, tactical, physical player out of that when they invest in the other side of it. So, yeah, no, for sure. Um, so let's 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 move into your your entrepreneurial realm here. Um, you know, in addition to your SEL coaching and training, um, you also run a nonprofit called Female Footballers. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, my husband, he played um, in MLS for eight years and he retired and he was trying to look at, and he's always kind of been an entrepreneur. He was, um, he had like a shirt company when he played pro and was always interested in like having, becoming an entrepreneur and having his own business. And I never really understood it. I came from a family where my dad worked for IBM for like 40 years and my mom was a teacher for 40 years. Nobody ever changed, but I was super fascinated by his mentality. And I think being an entrepreneur has you have to kind of look at things differently, which I wouldn't necessarily say I felt like I had back then. I think I've learned a lot about being an entrepreneur through my husband, but um, I was out in the front yard one day with my daughter and she was like one at the time. We had a soccer ball out there and some pug goals and she like kicks it. And I think most, most moms or parents would be like, oh, she's got some skill. But I looked at it as, oh, man, what is the soccer world like these days? And what is it going to look like if she decides to play? Um, because at that time, I'd been away from the game. So after I realized that like playing pro wasn't really going to happen for me, I kind of dove into my husband's career. And I followed him around. He played for the Houston Dynamo. We lived in um, 
in Texas for a year. He played for the LA Galaxy, the Colorado Rapids, Chicago Fire, ended up back here. So I was in the men's soccer world for quite some time. And um, coming back and have my daughter, it was like, what is youth soccer like? And at that time, my husband was just diving into youth soccer. And he would come home and talk about like how crazy it had gotten and how ridiculous some of the things he was dealing with were. And so I started um, writing. I went in from playing with my daughter. I started writing down. I wrote like four pages. I like to write and journal. And um, my husband, I was like, will you read this and tell me if I'm just crazy? And he read it and he was like, this is this is an organization. This, this is like something. And again, like it doesn't always come for me, the entrepreneurial spirit, but he has it for sure. And he read it and was like, yeah, this is something. So he's like, why don't you do this? Like start with like one clinic, just do one clinic and see how you like it and see what you think. So um, I started one clinic. I had like nine girls at it. It was pretty sad. But what I liked about it was I got to take the curriculum development piece from teaching, which I liked. And I got to the focus, which I'd been writing about, which was all the aspects of soccer that I still thought about and liked and gained from the sport. And so many of those skills were not technical or tactical or physical. They were mental. They were, you know, I learned how to be a good teammate. I learned how to be a good listener. I learned time management. I learned um, how to have more self-worth and self-esteem and confidence and all those things. And so um, I started to divide, like, sort of develop curriculum around that kind of stuff and I would go out onto a soccer field and we'd have stations where it was like a technical skills station and then we would sit down with paper and pencil and talk about confidence and these girls were like what are we doing but um there's a bunch of moms of daughters and they were sort of like oh this is different I like this and so word cut on and for about three years I did clinics and I got to be about my last clinic like that was a while ago now and it was about 60 girls and I had this whole Stanford women's soccer team out there volunteering their time on a, in a spring. Andy Sullivan at the time was on that team and um, and it was it was growing. And then unfortunately I had my third child. So again, this is where we go back to what keeps women off or out of the sport. It's there, there wasn't a place for me to do this when I was pregnant. It felt weird being pregnant out on my last clinic and like girls looking at you, they weren't used to seeing a pregnant woman out on the soccer field. And, and then, you know, that me trying to, you know, I had a baby and trying to balance my other two kids and a baby and it was like a lot so I kind of took a year or two off I was always sharing content on social media and newsletters and stuff but I just wasn't running clinics um and then 2020 hit and I was like okay my oldest son is like four I'm gonna like he's in preschool and I'm gonna like put more time and effort into this and then COVID hit <laughs> so I was like well, maybe that wasn't our year and so I still I just went back to the drawing board and I started creating a curriculum developing content um in more of like a curriculum setting and courses. And I gave us a talk with America Scores. It was like April, right after, we were all in lockdown still. And um, it went kind of viral and, and I got a lot of good feedback. They like rated us and it was like Anson Torrance got number one and I got number two and people started emailing me and they're like, you know, I wanna hear more about what you're talking about. And I was giving away kind of free mental skills sessions at the time just through Zooms and saying, you need to do this with your team. And um, and then I all of a sudden, all these girls started to email and say like, we wanna work with you. I wanna do what you're talking about. And so I often have more women who wanna help than I even have players sometimes who know they need the help. It's like, <laughs> there's so many women wanting to give back, but because they see that they can and they don't have to make this ridiculous commitment of coaching four teams or, or something, or they haven't played in a long time, but they have a skill set they really want to share. So, 
So now we do um, we do mental skills sessions with clubs and teams um, in person if it's in the Bay Area or over Zoom. Then we took all of our courses and lumped them into a, like a 12-week program. We just finished a summer program, and that's like an individual um, program where a player will have their own individual like Google Classroom, and they're paired with a current pro or college mentor. And so they get somebody they can go back and forth with, they can Zoom with, ask questions. They're also doing mental skills content on the computer and they discuss it. And then we also um, kind of spread ourselves really thin in the last year. We also have a podcast and we just opened a college community program, which is sort of like a student athlete advisory committee where we have a bunch of um, girls offering free Zooms once a month, basically free mental skills and resources. And we're trying to get experts to come on and talk to them and, no different, um, very similar to like, if you're familiar with the hidden opponent and their captains, uh, they have like campus captains. It's kind of similar, but it's soccer, female spot soccer specific. So a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's amazing. You definitely have a, a lot in motion. Um, have you uh, talked with NWSL yet about a partnership? No, I would love that. I, I don't, um, I think the hardest part of what we do is it's, not always received in a way that I hope. So for example, in the teaching world, teachers and educators and principals, they are all like hyper aware that social emotional learning is important in their job. It's necessary to teach and to give time to. They see that when they invest in a child at that level, they're actually going to get their return when it comes to standardized tests and all the junk that I can't stand teaching about but it comes back because they feel better about themselves. And if they feel better about themselves, they're going to perform better. And I think in the soccer world, it's really slow moving. You have some clubs and organizations that really see the value. And those are the clubs I feel like that have reached out and we work with, and they really see that this is an aspect of, of soccer that's important. And, and it's the piece that brings the whole player development aspect to fruition. And I think a lot of people tout development, they tout whole player development, but I talk to a lot of coaches who think that mental skills training is sleep and nutrition. And I'm like, no, those are, that's a physical element to the game. How you feel about what you eat, how you feel about your body, that's social emotional, that's different. And I think there's some coaches who don't, they don't understand it. There's a lot of terms we need to like get better about how we, um, you know, get the, the message across. Some some people, sports psychologists call it psychosocial, some call it mental skills, some call it mindset. Um, people look at it as you have to go to a sports psychologist to receive this type of training. When I'm not, I'm not a licensed sports psychologist, I'm simply a mentor. I'm creating content and doing the research to create a session no different than if I'm a soccer coach and I go to a course and I use what I know to create a good se session on the field. Same kind of thing. I'm creating a, a mental skills session that we can all benefit from and learn from and um, but I think the hard part is there's no, it's not like data driven in the soccer world right now, everybody's focused on data, like they want numbers attached to their performance. And like, it's one of those things, there's no numbers, you know, that's the hard part. So it's going to take a lot of time to get people on board with that this is valuable. And so I think if, if the NWSL were to show how valuable that was, and they did partner with somebody like me, then, then yeah, then we're getting somewhere, but it's going to take a big a big entity like that to show the youth programs that it's necessary trust me they could use it with everything yeah. that's, that's <laughs> happened over the past couple of years um yeah 
we won't stay there. Um, so <laughs> you mentioned that, you know, you're not, you weren't naturally like an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, you kind of caught the bug from your husband. Um, talk about that journey though. Um, uh, what are some things that you've learned along the way? Um, I've learned that it's very isolating to be an entrepreneur. Um, there's not a lot of people who get the journey by itself that, um, it goes in waves um, where I get super jazzed and passionate about something. And then I kind of get really burned out after a little while. Like I'll, I'll get super into it. And um, like right now I'm currently a little, little burned out from all the things we've done in the summer. And I, and when I get there, I know that I need to dive back more into the creative process of like what got me to that moment. So this is when I go back to writing or reading books that get me jazzed about a topic within it. Um, I know that I, I think I've, I feel like it's, um, it's really takes like out of the box thinking and, um, which for me is like, I have to be out of my comfort zone a lot. And that was not something I liked as a player or, I mean, teaching is not, um, something where you're out of your comfort zone a lot. It's like a lot of teachers I teach with have been in the same grade level for like 20 years and they're satisfied with just the same. And I knew early on that I didn't want to do that. And I wanted to jump around and I've taught different grade levels and, um, but it's, it's kind of scary too. It's just, it does feel like lonely. It's nice that my husband, he's also currently an entrepreneur and he runs a sports registration platform called Cinch and we can have conversations. It's nice to have him cause we can communicate about like, like just this week, I'm like, nobody responds to email. <laughs> and he's like, I know. And it's like a hustle, you know, it's like, you're, you're the salesperson, you're the marketing person, you're the, the business side. It's like, you're everything. And that can get exhausting but i do love it i love that i get to make up my schedule and, and the creative side of it is so fun and super cool and i don't get that freedom in teaching all the time so it's awesome yeah no definitely i definitely understand your struggle 100 percent. you know being <laughs> an entrepreneur myself um i also still have a nine to five so that floats things that also adds another layer of complexity from a time time standpoint you know you have family that you have to um make sure you're giving attention to and managing um, and then, you know, trying to run a business and trying to find a way to make it more than a hobby is <laughs> always definitely a struggle, you know? Totally. And it's hard because like I'm on my computer more than I want to be in front of my kids. So a lot of time I'll wait till they go to sleep and then I'm up late. And then in the middle of the night, if I've got a lot on my mind, I can't sleep. So then I've got like my phone next to me and I'm taking notes on my phone about like thoughts I have. So I totally feel you on that. It's, it's just, it's hard. And a lot of people don't get it. And so they can be hypercritical about it. And you're sort of like, you know what? Like, that's not what I need to be surrounded by. Sometimes I need somebody who's going to like believe in what I'm doing. So yeah. that's hard. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. So, um, as you know, talk of the town is a podcast you know, by the town FC. So um, getting into the soccer side of things a little bit. Um, what impacts are you looking forward to making through, you know, female footballers? Um, and then also potentially when it comes to, you know, new teams in the in the region? I just think I would like to see the Bay Area in the soccer realm be actually become whole player development. I, I want to see people who are passionate about this and not not for the money and the potential revenue and incomes, but for the right reasons, for the fact that this area has always been a soccer powerhouse region. And it is not, um, you know, I think like LA is a good example with Angel City right now. Like they, um, 
they're a very similar market to the Bay Area where we are super diverse here, whether that be racially, socioeconomically, we've got a lot of different communities, just like LA does. And yet they have found a way to market and bring their team to a lot of different types of people. And they've done it in a, in the, a really great way. I don't think that's the only way. I don't think you need all this star power, but I think what people aren't seeing maybe with the Angel City thing is they really are about community. And I think for me, I'd like to see the Bay Area do a better job. And, and if we're talking future teams and is really focused on community that like soccer isn't just the famous people involved in it. It doesn't need to be like in LA. It doesn't need to be the Natalie Portman's, although that's awesome that you have celebrity backers who want to invest in your in your organization that's awesome but there are so many soccer people here in the bay area who are passionate who've been and lived here and wanted a team here i mean i was a kid we didn't even have the earthquakes we had the blackhawks who i mean it was those are the games i went to at spartan stadium and ironically when i went to cal and i went in to meet my student athletic advisor it was derek van renan who played on the blackhawks and i remember being so excited to meet him but it's like you know, if you've been from the Bay Area, like we've always needed a team here. We need a team, we want a team. How we get a team is gonna be really important. And, you know, the earthquakes are are great. Um, I, my husband played for them. We know a lot of the staff there, but I think that some of the areas they struggle is like how to market to the whole Bay Area. You know, they focus primarily on the South Bay when the East Bay where you guys are at with the town is, a huge soccer area and unlike i think gina said in your last episode um you've got the east bay by the water and the east bay over the hills like there's mm -hmm. it's huge there's uh that, that could be two separate fully fully areas you know and then you have the peninsula the north bay. I mean, we've got so much potential and i would just like to see more whole player development and more you know community-based um kind of grassroots that's kind of how i roll like that female footballers is very grassroots um and i think that that has a lot of potential here yes you need your financial backers yes you need a little star power sure but i don't know i think people underestimate the, the value of community and, and how it can really take off that's our show for this week thank you for tuning in please subscribe rate and review it helps us get discovered Follow us on the socials at the town underscore FC. Stay up to date on important news around the club by signing up for our Town Chronicles newsletter at thetownfc.com. And as always, tweet us your comments on the show, any topics you want us to discuss, and more. Peace out.